Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Uh, before we start, a couple things to remember. There is a website called wealthformula.com where there's lots of other resources that are not included simply by listening to uh, this podcast, including an opportunity to sign up for our accredited investor club. So if you're interested in potentially uh, deploying some capital, that's a place to go. If you are an accredited investor and uh, get onboarded, um, you just go to investor club at wealthformula.com. Now, also, I also want to remind you that there is an event coming up. You should have gotten an email by now uh, for our next meetup in Dallas uh, wealth formula meetup. Uh, that is going to be a really cool event. I mean, it always is. People have a great time. It's like a big party at the end of the day too. Um, our investors are super fun. Our, our people who come out, we start out, we're going to have a, a very, uh, uh, sort of, we'll have some didactics. We'll have Doug, uh, Lodmel and Tom Wheelwright out. We're also going to have some very, uh, you know, poignant talks uh, with regard to um, the economy at large right now. We have uh, a guy who used to manage a sovereign wealth fund in the Middle East who's really an expert in financial markets. And then also a guy who is an expert in clean energy as it relates to Bitcoin mining. Now, this is something that you're going to hear about a lot about, especially in your, uh, if you're involved with our investor club. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity to come out and see you know, his talk, which is going to be all about, you know, how we can basically convert, you know, wind to money. So if you are inclined to do so, I would highly recommend you go to wealthformulaevents.com. Again, that's wealthformulaevents with an S.com and sign up. Uh, there is a limit of uh, 100 people for the event. Uh, I think it's going to be really cool, and it'll be lovely to see you all again this fall. Okay, now speaking of Bitcoin, and that's uh, that's uh, you know we're going to talk a little cryptocurrency today. We haven't we haven't really talked about cryptocurrency very much as of late, and uh, you know I mean the reason is frankly that I'm probably uh, not any different from a lot of other people who seem to get really excited when the markets are going high, but quickly, you know, lose uh, some interest when I'm, markets are struggling like they are now. Now, but 
In the bigger picture, though, I think it's important in times like these, regardless of asset class, it is critically important to stay rational. Okay, let's take Bitcoin. I mean, this is, um, you know, since we're talking about cryptocurrency, as I speak today, Bitcoin is actually just under $20,000 and it could absolutely go lower. And that sounds low because we were almost $70,000 this year. But for perspective, back in, uh, you know, 2017, that was like the all time high, right? 20,000. So, I mean, shoot, you started that year and you were like in, you know, two or 3,000 and you go all the way up to 20,000. And guess what? Now, where 20,000s are low right now, right? So it's it's difficult because, you know, this is such a volatile area. But for those of us who believe in Bitcoin, believe that it is here to stay, the question is, does it matter if, you know, Bitcoin tanks down to 10,000? Bitcoin's not going to zero. It's not. It's It's not going to zero. And if you believe like me that Bitcoin is here to stay and that there's a finite amount of Bitcoin that'll ever be in existence, the price simply must go up over time uh, because more and more people will buy it. And it's an issue simply of a, a market capitalization uh, in, a, in, an, in a market where there's no inflation. Uh, so inflation meaning printing of money, there's a finite amount of Bitcoin. So it has to go up in price as the market capitalization rises, which I mean, I don't know. I, I think that to me, it's so obvious it's going to that, um, you know, I mean, I don't want to give, I'm not giving you financial advice, but it is one of those things that every time people, um, you know, Bitcoin has a bad day or a bad, you know, few months, people try to like write its obituary. And there are so many obituaries in Bitcoin. It's not even funny. The reality is that it's here to stay and going anywhere. But there's no question. This is an extraordinarily volatile market. Uh, but if you look again at Bitcoin price history, the trend is clearly up. You know, the, I mean, this thing started in 2009, right? 2010, it was like, I think the high was 10 cents. You know, if that's and if that's the case, and you know, you are a long-term holder or hodler, as we say in Bitcoin land, and believe in, in Bitcoin, you should actually kind of be rejoicing about Bitcoin prices today because it's an opportunity for you to potentially buy more, right? I mean, it's a lot better than buying it when it's at its all-time high, which is what most people do. This is a really difficult thing to do, though, because ultimately we are wired to run away from danger, like falling prices in this case, and to and run to pleasure, which are essentially euphoric markets. So it is essentially the opposite of what you want to be doing as an investor, and that's how we're hardwired. But you have to rise above those instinctual animalistic impulses uh, and be rational. And that's how, you know, the best investors in the world, Warren Buffett, all those guys, you know, be, be greedy when others are scared, be scared when others are greedy. Uh, I mean, that, this, is, this is investing 101, but emotionally, it is a very difficult thing to 
to swallow and to practice in real life with your money. I get it. So, okay. So enough pep talk about uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Again, I'm still bullish. If anybody's wondering, I'm still bullish. And I still believe, okay, we're, we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're at around 20,000. I still believe in the next four to five years, we're going to see Bitcoin over $200,000. Uh, it might maybe even sooner, but I I I, I'm, I still believe that. But as we wait for this uh, bear market to end, it is uh, also a good time to make sure that we're, uh, you know, kind of making sure that you know our accounting principles and uh, everything, and and we are familiar with the tax law in the space because you know it'll make it a lot easier again when you're your portfolio explodes and you can be in a position where you can potentially benefit from knowing all of those uh, tax laws. Anyway, uh, for that purpose, this week's Wealth Formula podcast features a CPA, Micah Frame, who specializes in, in cryptocurrency. Uh, and uh, anyway, it's, it's actually a, a very interesting podcast. So um, I had a lot of fun uh, lots of interesting things to talk about if you're kind of a, a personal finance nerd, especially if you're involved in cryptocurrency. Um, and we'll have that interview right after these messages. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula podcast is a self-described crypto and NFT-obsessed CPA who's a best-selling author who's been featured in uh, NASDAQ, Forbes, and Money. Uh, it is Micah Frame. Micah, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Really excited to be here. Yeah, so um, let's start kind of like with your background a little bit. I mean, how did you, you know, how did you find yourself becoming sort of a, you know, an expert in the cryptocurrency space? Mostly by accident, because what what I'll say is that I got I bought a little bit of crypto like everyone else did in 2017 during the initial coin offering craze. And the three or so grand that I threw in there very quickly became 
$1,000 cause the market crashed pretty quickly. Sure. And I mostly kind of forgot about crypto and till somewhere around, I'd say 2020. Yeah. Like everybody the else had, re- had the market had recovered <laughs> right. and that three grand that had turned into one had turned somewhere into like six or $9,000. So around that time, I had a client tell me about a node project that they were involved in. And that project was the first time that I really understood the use case and the utility of a specific crypto project. Mm -hmm. Up until then, it had been, well, smart people say blockchain's a big deal. But I get that blockchain's a big deal, but why is this specific token valuable? And that that project was the first one where it just sort of clicked. So combination of doing it as an investor myself and then also most of my clients are online business owners that's the majority of the rest of our practice and since they're sort of tech centric anyway more and more of them had been getting involved in crypto so as we were trying to figure out the questions for ourselves or for our clients it became really clear clear really quickly that there's nothing out there the guidance is almost non-existent that's right um well, let's let's kind of jump into it then. I guess the broad question uh, is, you know, if if you want to uh, just describe in general uh, for those who don't know how crypto trades are taxed. Yeah, so crypto trades, and this is one of the things that we run into the sort of casual trader won't realize is that for most trades that we execute, there's going to be cash involved. So if you sell a stock, you're going to receive cash for that. So what people will think is that if they're doing what you call coin for coin trades, so you're trading your Bitcoin for Ethereum or for Solana or some other crypto token, they'll think that so long as you don't cash it in for a fiat currency like US dollars, that you don't pay tax on it. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. The IRS has specified that if you're doing coin for coin trades, each one of those trades is its own taxable event. And and my understanding was, Actually, because I was in cryptocurrency, you know, in 2017 and stuff, and that, that rule, ruling or that clarity, clarity uh, was was laid down back during that time. Uh, before that, actually, it seemed like this actually was the case. So this might have been a change from the prior taxation, uh, the way the IRS viewed it, or maybe they just didn't view it at all, and they finally came on with some sort of clarity. Is that what what happened there? Yeah, they didn't. To my knowledge, they just had not issued any guidance at all. And then they finally did and said that these coin for coin trades are taxable. But the problem is, is that they're always like five plus years behind on issuing their guidance. Because what did happen was they, when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the 2018 tax reform that happened, they specified in that very specifically that you can't do that crypto or intangible assets are not sub aren't eligible for 1031 like kind exchanges. They said for 2018 onward that you cannot do 1031 exchanges, but people asked, okay, well that's 2018 and later. I think what you might be referencing is that people ask, well, what about before tax reform happened? What about for 2017 and prior? Can we do 1031 exchanges? And the IRS did an analysis, and this shows you how far behind they are. 
the three tokens they did were Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Those were their those were the big three that they did an analysis of, and they showed that there were differences in each token to say that they're not substantially the same and thereby even prior to that clarification in 2018 that you can't do a, a like kind exchange. You can't do a deferral for trading tokens for tokens. So let's get one, one thing that I think would be useful for clarity because I think it's important because it's not, um, as you mentioned, uh, 1031 uh, exchanges are not, Allowed. So, is this considered? Uh, it's, con- but it is considered cryptocurrency. Unlike stocks, is considered personal property, right? Per- personal, yeah. As opposed to portfolio, and that makes a big difference when it comes to things like wash sales and things like oh, that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Do you want to talk a little big- bit about that? Um, just I'm, yeah. So you can just sort of summarize. Kind of, I just kind of glanced over sure. it, but maybe you can kind of give us the one hundred and one on that. Well, yeah, I mean, you hit on the main difference as it exists right now, at least for regular trading income, and that's that the IRS, at least for now, considers cryptocurrency to be property, not a security. And since it's not a security, it's not subject to what they call the wash sale rules. And the way the wash sale rules work is that the IRS says that if you sell a a security, but you buy it back back within 30 days, then if you sell that security for a loss, but buy it back within that month period, you're not allowed to write that loss off on your tax return. The basic logic being that if you buy something and immediately purchase it back, you're not really disposing of the asset. You're not really selling it. So we're not going to let you take that tax write off. But right now, at least cryptocurrency is property. And since it's not, since it's property, it's not subject to those wash sale rules. So now that we're in a bear market right now, that's one of the main strategies we're working on with our clients is tax loss harvesting, where they've got these underwater crypto positions and saying, okay, go ahead and sell, sell the token. You can buy it back 10 minutes later, but that at least realizes the gain. Yeah, you're locking in, you're locking in the losses for the year. So why not? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's huge. And I, and hopefully if that's one thing that people uh, who are investing in cryptocurrency um, get from this particular podcast, that is something that could save you a lot of uh, potential money. Cause I know there are some fairly significant uh, cryptocurrency holders in our audience and uh, we're in a bear market. So uh, I feel your pain and I have uh, uh, some of us uh, who've been talking about cryptocurrency have uh, actually referred to themselves as professional tax loss harvesters at this point instead of cryptocurrency <laughs> investors. So um, let, let's talk a little bit uh, in more in depth now the, some of the issues, uh, other ways of creating income in the cryptocurrency space. So for example, um, staked tokens, how are those taxed? So like, there's two general the categories with... right. Yeah. So, so there's two general categories with, with staking. One is if you're operating as a node operator or a node validator, and that income is more analogous to mining income and mining income is business income. That's the category that the IRS has thrown it into. But for most of us, that's, we're not going to be operating nodes. Most people are just going to be staking as delegators to 
that's just the, the terminology. You're, you're delegating your tokens to one of those node operators or validators. And with those, those are at currently at least are taxed essentially as dividends because it's just a reward you have for, for holding the token and you're receiving more in-kind tokens. There's litigation ongoing that's being challenged though right now. And there, there's a few things I should say on that. One is that the IRS hasn't specifically issued guidance on staking yet. The the general thought process and the theory behind staking income right now is based on their the guidance they issued on airdrops and hard fork income. So that's the one thing. The other thing is that there's a case right now in Tennessee, I think it's middle district court right now, called it's Jarrett versus the United States of America, where there's this couple who had Tezos tokens and they claimed this income and then sued the IRS claiming that it should not have been taxable income until they actually disposed of the tokens. So they're trying to force the issue right now, either ideally for staking income, not to be taxable income until you sell your tokens, but at the very least to get some clarification and, concrete guidance from the IRS on what you're supposed to do with staking income. Cause right now they've just been pretty silent on it and are mo- I seem to be kicking the can down the road, just waiting for Congress to pass legislation instead of coming up with their own interpretation. Um, a quick question. You mentioned mining and you know, this is relevant to a uh, potential uh, an opportunity that we're, we're uh, my, our investor group is going to be um, looking at in, in, in the near future. And with mining, the one thing that I'm a little unclear about, I, I'm guessing it, I know the answer, but I'll just for clarity, when you mine, um, presumably based on what you say, you're producing Bitcoin and that Bitcoin that is produced is, is it taxed, you know, at the dollar amount that it was at that moment that it was produced Yes. Okay. Yeah. What they, the, the phrasing and the sort of the term of art that becomes really important is they talk about when you have dominion and control over the asset. So that means that when you have receipt of the asset and also you've got essentially unfettered access and utility to it to where you can dispose, you can use it, you can dispose of it, you can do whatever you want with it. So when you have when you have receipt and you've got full control of the asset, that's when the taxable event triggers and you're doing it at whatever the fair market value of Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever your mining was at that time. Okay. And just for clarity, again, uh, in terms of the airdrops and hard fork type, um, when, when you get those kinds of tokens, those right now, uh, we should kind of look at them as dividends. Yeah, whenever you've got full unfettered access, that's going to be taxable income and essentially dividends or, I mean, you put it on the return as miscellaneous other income, but for all intents and purposes, it's it's dividends. So let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned crypto does not qualify for 1031 exchanges, um, and that's because uh, it's not a, a business and it's not... Um, and it's not, you know, real property, correct? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, since it's intangible assets, they've just and and I think they did this because when they came up with this 2018 tax reform, it was right after the ICO craze and crash. So I think they anticipated people wanting to defer those gains, so they just codified it that it's only for real property that you're allowed to do 1031s. But the question that I have is because it's still personal property would it still be eligible for the bonus depreciation rules? Like in other words, um, I'm an investor, say I'm an investor and I've got crypto gains and I have real estate losses um, or losses from a business. Uh, I should be able to offset that, right? I should be able to offset. Can I use depreciation to offset um, gains from uh from uh, from cryptocurrency because it's personal property we haven't gotten any indication that that's the way they're going to treat it now what this sort of gets into you're not really going to depreciate or amortize tokens but what that does get into is nfts because nfts are such a wide array of what the utility behind the nft is and what the use case is for the nft So again, unfortunately, we have no concrete guidance from the IRS on NFTs, but for most intangible assets, you fall into one of two categories. One is that you don't amortize it at all. It just sits there at face value and you don't expense it or do anything until you dispose of the asset. The other is what they call section 197. It's amortizable NFTs. So where you, and for tangible assets, you depreciate them over time. Same base, basic thing with intangibles, but you it's called amortizing. So for those section, I hate getting into just jargon, but for those specific NFTs that do amortize, they amortize on the lesser of either 15 years or the useful life of the asset. So if you can prove that the asset's useful life is less than 15 years, then they'll let you use use that shorter life. So assuming the IRS concedes that NFTs and these intangible assets should be allowed to be amortized, where we've gotten more flexibility, you know, bonus depreciation is not really in the cards right now, but you can have it to where you say, hey, this NFT that I bought, it really only has a useful life of one or two or three years. And then you're able to amortize that over a, a relatively short amount of time. Got it. Um when you're, how do you recommend for your clients right now to, to track their uh, cryptocurrency activity? It gets very, as you know, it gets very complicated, yeah. particularly for people who are dealing in more than just, you know, Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got, you know, you've got these uh, decentralized, um, you know, you have these dis- these decentralized DAOs and, you know, all this kind of stuff that it gets yeah. very, very tricky. So, so for your clients, how do you recommend they track crypto? It, it's a nightmare. There's no real way around it. So what we tell everyone is you're, you pretty much, unless you're doing everything just on your Coinbase account, or you've got a very simple portfolio that's basically on one centralized exchange. But if you have any sort of expansive crypto activity at all, you're pretty much required to use one of these coin tracking softwares, be it 
Coinly, Coin Tracker. There's one that we recommend for people with a ton, with a really high volume of transactions called Cointracking.info. Reason being is that it's if you've got if you're using a trading body or a high frequency trader, it's much cheaper than the the more mainstream ones would be. But even with those, we say those that gets you about 90% of the way there. I know it's not a simple issue to fix because otherwise these companies would be fixing it, but they still feel like they're in beta testing a little bit right now. It still feels like they're designed for simpler transactions and activity versus the way people are trading and investing now. So what we end up having to do is you use the software, it gets you most of the way there, but then you end up still having to go through and redline the report to modify the things that just are not being captured properly. You know, I, I, I my gut on this is use those things, do the best you can. It's going to be a lot more than most people are doing. Uh, and right. certainly from the standpoint of the IRS, it's like, I mean, what, how in the world do they go back and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> reconstruct this. So do the best you can be honest and, and, you know, well, keep it. And that, that's all you can do at this point, because unlike traditional investing or, or just even things that are analogous in business, we don't have the, we don't have the guidance that we would normally have. And we also don't have the sophisticated tools that you have in these things that have been around for 50 or a hundred years. So like you said, a lot of people are still sort of in this idea of, well, you know, it's, it's on my MetaMask. It's on, it's on DeFi. The, I don't need to report it. The IRS is never going to find out. So if you're taking, if you're reporting all of your income and you're making a good, honest faith effort to report everything and report it accurately, that's all you can do right now. And our thinking is that the IRS is going to be, if you do mess up, the IRS is going to be reasonable and lenient if you're able to show that you really were putting your best foot forward to report everything properly. Is very important. I mean, and I think mm-hmm. that's a that's an interesting thing because of the nature of this stuff. I mean, uh, I, I I met a guy, um, uh, you know, in in one of these uh, uh, conferences who who had several million dollars. We're talking twenty, thirty million dollars of Bitcoin, and it's all sitting in DeFi. He's never, you know, and he trades, he trades, but he doesn't mm-hmm. report anything, nothing. I mean, those are huge dollar amounts, right? But his whole point is, well, how are they going to ever know it's DeFi, right? So at the end of the day, somebody's going to be, somebody will probably figure out how, right? That's, that's really what comes down to. It's like you're sort of challenging that uh, and and risking jail time. (laughs) Well, exactly. And it's also one of these things too, where I'll never claim that there's not some way that I'm sure you could hide all this from the IRS. Like I'm sure you can use... Monero or some privacy yeah. coin and you layer it with Tor and a bunch of, but then you're I'm a sure criminal. Some then you're a criminal. And, you're, right. and that's a you're, decision. You're, <laughs> you're a criminal at that point. And unless you're doing for most people like, well, it's on MetaMask. How are they going to know? Well, most of us aren't going through all those steps. So all they have to do is rewind one or two steps to a platform where you've got KYC. Right. It's going to be really easy for them to say, okay, well, here's your, here's your crypto.com account. And then you keep sending money to this other wallet. I mean, they're not idiots. They're going to be able yeah. to tie it back to you. And, and I think what it is, is that a mix of the IRS, not they're really trying to kick down the can down the road so far as so we can tell until Congress gives them guidance. 
So I think in the meantime, they've just been kind of they're making their tools more sophisticated. They're they're getting every the framework in place, and then now that there's all this additional IRS funding, maybe they start to use that towards enforcement activities. But they're they're going to be able to figure this stuff out, and they're going to go back retroactive. So yeah, just it, do the best you can. Be honest, and don't yeah. don't get too cute with it because they will. Yeah, they this will get you. Eventually. This is one of the spaces that they're very very serious about, right? I mean, like right mm-hmm. now, isn't it a felony? A felony, right? To to literally to not admit that you own cryptocurrency on your tax return. I don't know if I know that there's the check box on where you have to disclose yeah. on every return. I, I have not looked into whether yeah. that, that's I, a felony yeah, or not, but I think it is. I'm pretty sure that's what uh, Tom Wheelwright is, was saying something like, but, but you, people can okay. look it up if I'm wrong, let me know, but it's, it's bad. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, one other, one other topic that I think, um, I'd heard a little bit about, but really didn't uh, hear it clarified in any sort of meaningful way is, well, you know, at the end of the day with Bitcoin, um, there are people who are accepting Bitcoin uh, for payment. Um, People are buying things with Bitcoin. There was some, uh, uh, some question of whether Bitcoin transactions of a certain amount would be considered taxable mm-hmm. events or not. Do we have clarity on that? Not yet, but there were, I can't remember what the name of the legislation was, but there were, there have been a few iterations of proposals. The most recent one was that if you're disposing of cryptocurrency and it's under $200, then that's not a taxable event. Because right now the issue you're running into is that cryptocurrency is considered property. So even if you're using it on a crypto debit card or something and you're swiping for five bucks at a Starbucks, that's a a taxable event event that you have to account for. And an accounting nightmare. (laughs) Well, it's an app. It's an, it's a nightmare for everybody. And I imagine what they're, they're going to need to put some sort of provision in there to where, you know, they look at the aggregate number of transactions or the aggregate dollar value. Cause otherwise you're going to have people who do ten thousand two hundred ninety nine $199 transactions selling their crypto to avoid the capital gains. But there's definitely movement on that because crypto already has enough issues of functioning as an actual currency. There's already a bunch of hurdles with that. If you tack on the fact that every time you swipe your card or send something, now you've got a capital gain or loss, it just makes it so much harder to u- to utilize it as a payment method. Um, did do you feel like we've covered most of the major topics, or is there anything we've left out with regard to just your typical, you know, cryptocurrency investors? I think so, because for most people, you're going to have staking income, you've got your trading, and then Forks, drops. you're either going to have, oh, oh, yeah, you're going to have just random drops. Then you're also going to have, um, you know, if you're on a centralized exchange, just interest deposit, interest deposits. But those are sort of the core things that I'd say 80% of crypto users are getting involved yeah. in. There, there's a bunch of other fascinating and more niche situations. But in terms of what most people are dealing with, I think those are the big ones. You um, have a couple of other, you have a couple of books out, but they're more related to small business. Um, Do you want to mention those real quick and where 
people could and what they're about yeah, and where well, people can get them. We actually d- we do we did launch another book about a month ago specifically on crypto taxation. Okay. It, it's called Decrypting Crypto Taxes and it's the complete guide to cryptocurrency and NFT NFT taxation that's on Amazon right now. And the digital version of that is, is free. We've got a promo going. Okay. Is there so, a website uh, that you get that at, or is that at Amazon? That's just on, on Amazon. Oh, okay. Or, and we've got it on Barnes Noble and, and iBooks and, and it's on most major retailers. Do you do consulting as well? Or are you only dealing with um, your, your clients uh, that you deal with on a sort of global uh, uh, tax service? Well, we do. A bit, most of our consulting is done with, with the clients where we're, we're doing their tax return and we're more actively involved just because we can, that's where we provide the, the most value because so much of it becomes the totality of what you have going on and not only your tax situation, but your investment strategy, your, your balance sheet. So we provide a lot more value when we really have a, a, a good pulse on all the stuff you have going on. And then we're able to sort of synthesize all that together. So we're, we're always happy if someone wants to do an initial consultation, we'll, we'll get, we'll give them some guidance, but it's definitely not as value added as the ongoing planning. Um, how do, how do uh, anybody get in touch if they're, they're interested? So if you're a crypto investor, our website is cryptotaxcpa.com. So we've got, that's got our contact form, most of our resources, and also just a breakdown of how we, how we function if people are having questions and think they might be interested. Micah, thanks for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. This was really, uh, really useful information for everybody. All right. Perfect. Thanks for having me, man. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And again, uh, before I let you go, I want you to come to my event in Dallas. Okay. Uh, October 7th and 8th in Dallas. WealthFormulaEvents.com. And I think one of the things that you're going to really, really uh, like is our talk on Bitcoin mining and uh, clean energy. I think there's a tremendous opportunity right now, especially because we are in a bear market, uh, to, to be positioned there. And so try to learn as much as we can and see potentially where we can uh, you know, get involved with. Um, anyway, again, it's wealthformulaevents.com. Hopefully you enjoyed this particular episode of Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.